Welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Greg. Welcome to the Founder Pack Podcast. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate you doing this with me. How is your week going so far? Uh, good. It's been, so we had 4th of July this this week, so it's a short week, um, but it was it was a little difficult but getting back into the swing of things after having a, a long weekend. I, I was just joking with my previous guest that we're putting the four-day work week to like an organic test, so... <laughs> maybe you'll have some insights after the week is over but uh, not sure what your thoughts are regarding the four-day work week are you for it against it just kind of curious Uh, I I could be for it I've never uh, never explored it that thoroughly but I could be I could be for a four-day work week I feel like sometimes uh, not only as a founder but employees also if you if you compress down the the time and work a little little more diligently you probably get more done in four days than five a lot of weeks yeah actually it's been like a pretty heated topic of late with the whole great resignation and the recession and and things like that so i was just curious to get your thoughts on that yeah so we actually we went to uh an unlimited vacation policy within my companies and that has worked really well um i don't know you know we have uh, 20 employees so it's not not a huge company um so i'm not sure how well that would work in a in a 20,000 employee size company but in a small company it works really well in that way you know rather than ha- having the 4 hour for four day, not four hour work week, but four day work week, um, people have the opportunity to do that anytime they they want or need to, and then we're very flexible in allowing people if they need to go to appointments or take their kids to whatever. We're very flexible in all of those. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you cases. brought that up. I actually had some back and forth in our community about this, and also I've listened to. A, a really great podcast that really dived deep into this um, unlimited vacation perk. So one of the recommendations, and you can kind of weigh in on how you guys do it, but one of the recommendations was it's really important that the employees feel that it's authentic because if they feel like it's inauthentic. They're probably not going to take that vacation and feel bad about it. And then it's actually like a vicious circle because then they actually got baited and switched. The leadership gets upset when you actually do take this unlimited (laughs) vacation. So it's not really (laughs) authentic. So I'm just curious how you made it effective and that safe for employees to actually do that. Yeah. Yeah. So one one of the things that we, I mean, not only in the communication of that, it, it is safe to take take the time off, um, but we actually require that people take at least two weeks off 
as a minimum. Um, so ra- rather than, and, and that actually is an issue when you go to a plan like this, that people feel in a, in a, whether it's obligation, they feel an obligation or they just feel empowered to you know, not have to track every minute of their vacation time. They tend to not take as much vacation. Um, so that was one of the requirements that we put in is that people take at least 10 business days of vacation per year. Got you. Cool. Yeah, we can we can circle back to this. I, I want to let you introduce yourself yeah. first before we <laughs> go down <laughs> deep in the rabbit hole. So um, without any further ado, I'd love if you don't mind just giving us a quick uh, background, you and your company. Absolutely. So Greg Edwards, founder and CEO of CryptoStopper, which is an anti-ransomware um detection and and stopping tool and this is the third crypto stopper is the third tech startup that i've done uh previous two were a managed services business that actually still own and run that today that i started in 1998 uh absentee owner of that and then uh, i started an off-site backup and disaster recovery company and exited from that in 2016 to publicly traded uh, J2 Global. And yeah, and then started CryptoStopper shortly after that. And have been, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. I think I started my first, first business when I was 11 or 12, <laughs> but started the first uh, real business when I was 24 and really have never had a, haven't ever had a, a real job in my so life. So you, might have taken my fun fact, but I'm hoping you have one more in, in your in, up your sleeve. <laughs> so sticking to tradition, I always ask my guests one fun fact about themselves. So you, hopefully you have another one for us. Yeah, yeah, I can, uh, I can <laughs> probably give you more than one if you wanted. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm all ears. All right. So uh, maybe the, the, Funnest fact: I've I've owned and sold. I don't own it anymore, but at one time owned a 600-acre uh, cattle operation in uh, in northern Missouri here in the United States. Can you repeat that? I didn't catch what that was. Yeah. So so I owned a 600-acre uh, cattle farm. Cattle okay. Farm. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah. very different than uh, cybersecurity business that that I'm currently. So was in. that before you got into tech or during? Uh, uh, it was a- actually after the last exit and kind of in an interim period, and it was a good experience. I thought I wanted to be a cattle farmer and uh, determined uh, fairly quickly that it was way too much work. Those guys have to work too hard. I was joking <laughs> with my wife about having kids that actually working in a startup, it's much easier than having kids. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I have, have kids and, uh, it being, being a parent is much more work, (laughs) much more rewarding. Yes. Like coming to work is a vacation sometimes, (laughs) especially when they're (laughs) under one years old. So thank you for sharing all that. I, well, I have so many questions for you. I I don't know where to start. (laughs) So let me think for a second here. You mentioned multiple exits, ransomware solution that you're currently working on. Okay. Maybe there's one or two 
takeaways, lessons learned for new founders, up and coming founders? What could you share with them that you think would be most impactful for them to hear after going through this three times? So I think not becoming emotionally attached to the business is critical and and looking at it and separating your personal life and your your human your humanness separating that from the businesses that you're starting and that emotion because we tend and I did this early on uh, tend to really wrap our entire lives around those businesses and while it is it is something that you have to dedicate, to and spend the the vast majority of your life dedicating to, but it doesn't define your life. And so you need that separation. And it took me um, almost 20 years to, to figure that out. Do you think it's because you spent 20 years like kind of getting those battle scars and going through that emotional it, up and down that you can let go at this point? point do you think it's possible for new founders yeah, to I, not be emotionally attached so i mean i think really it was the first exit that kind of triggered that for me because i intellectually knew that you need to be able to separate your your work and business life from from your personal life um but selling that the first business really it defined that for me and that this is, it is a transactional business. We start these to either make money and just keep running it or to start an exit and having that defined and then actually going through it really showed me and, and that experience is what opened that up to me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Having worked myself in cybersecurity for like the last six years, I have a bit of a understanding of the language and the ecosystem. So you also mentioned that you exited from an MSSP. Did, did that enable like your next startup by working very close with customers, understanding customer security issues through that one to many yeah so so i actually still own the mssp and that um that business i'm an absentee owner of um but that is still an active and running business and that really has enabled is really a lifestyle business um so allows allows me to do other things and still have a stable income um because as a as a founder of of businesses, <laughs> those first few years can be can be pretty lean. So if you don't have an income, or just happen to be independently wealthy, <laughs> it can be difficult. Uh, but um, the exit from the offsite backup and disaster recovery company that that was the business that I exited from, and that really allowed allowed me then to start the cybersecurity company. Gotcha. So you. St- started a, a new cybersecurity company to try and solve the ransomware problem. I, I, I'm just thinking out loud here, some of your sort of obvious challenges would be like, this sounds too good to be true. And I think there's like 1,200 or more cybersecurity <laughs> vendors out there. What was the 
catalyst for you being successful? Yeah. So having a very defined target market is what what's led to our success. And um, our our focus is on managed service providers. So the same kind of company that that I own uh, is who we sell to. And there's still, even within that, there's lots and lots of products, but most of those products also have enterprise components and we've, we've opted to stay away from enterprise sales at this point and focus on those managed service providers and providing, uh, providing marketing materials to them so that they then, I mean, they have existing clients already um, that they need to provide cyber tools to. And so having that narrow focus on managed service providers is really what's, what's enabled our early success. Now, as we, as we continue to grow and expand what we do, um, we may, may move into the enterprise space, but at least getting that initial foothold is really important and getting to a point where you're, you're either on a very strong growth path or on a path to profitability is critical in those, in the first couple of years. So you went straight through channel as your go-to market strategy. Yeah. I wouldn't say straight to, but nearly straight to when, um, so the first 18 months that we started really, we, we looked to the market to define where we would go. And it became pretty obvious pretty early on that the managed service providers was the the space that we should focus on and go after. And reasons for that were you know, exactly what you said, that with over 1,200 cybersecurity companies in existence and more coming on every single day, it's just a very noisy landscape. And as a startup, to be, to be trying to sell to everyone is not a good strategy. Yeah, I, I love it when you ask who are your customers and they're like everyone with an Office 365 or G Suite. <laughs> okay, that's very that's very helpful. <laughs> so I have lots of, yeah, I'm, I have a lot of questions on the channel stuff because I also used to support channel programs and channel was also a big part of my responsibilities in my previous company. But before we go there, Obviously, there are challenges for companies wanting to go through the channel because the channel is seen as like the, having the keys to the kingdom, right? With their portfolio of customers and now vendors are hammering MSSPs equally to the end customer. So what, do you, what advice do you have for v- vendors wanting to get traction with an MSSP as they start their business and try to get their foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. So rather than taking a, a hard sales approach, and this is, this is my personal preference, but becoming a thought leader and becoming an expert within the space that you're in. And so for, for crypto stopper is very specifically stopping ransomware in small to medium sized businesses through managed service providers. And Becoming an an expert in that specific category and um, and 
cybersecurity expertise really is what's made the difference. So that then drives leads to us that then we can go sell as opposed to trying to push the sales at them. So really being super focused in what you want to be known for as long as your audience is not too small, yeah, in, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, and legitimately becoming an expert, in that, which is which needs to happen organically and isn't easy. So my background in ransomware um, started as far back as as 2001, I would say, with the with the I, I love you bug, which you're probably not old enough to even remember that one. Um, but that was it actually wasn't ransomware, but exhibited ransomware, what we would see today as ransomware behavior, uh, where it encrypted files. It just didn't have a payment mechanism tied to it. And then, so seeing that as far back as 2001 and seeing the need for cybersecurity, learning what it takes from a cybersecurity standpoint to secure a company, and then disaster recovery and having all of the capabilities to recover, and then starting to see ransomware uh, in, in its true form in 2012 with our offsite backup clients and seeing the devastation that that caused and then understanding the mechanism behind ransomware and who the attackers were and how to, it, and the crypto stopper doesn't prevent ransomware, it controls the damage of ransomware. And, and so again, back to the original question of how do you get the the leads in really comes from in my opinion becoming an expert and having the company have the expertise behind it to be to be a leader in the field oh that makes a lot of sense and what would you say are like the top three to five things that mssps value in a partner as a vendor yeah i mean so number one i mean the product obviously has to work. So being able to prove that the product is what it what it claims to be, uh, and we can do that very easily through our demo system and give, give them the keys to be able to show that and prove that to themselves and to their clients. So product working is number one. Uh, number two, really, I think that the support behind it, uh, support today is, is just notoriously horrible across every seems like every industry and so having having a support team that the partners can actually call and communicate with um, and then the third thing i would say just the ease of licensing procurement and deployment so making sure that it's easy you know so product works the team behind it to support it and then making it easy for them to buy and deploy to their clients. Yeah, I like the simplicity of that. And then you also touched on something that I think is quite relevant now during this recession. You mentioned customer success. What are some trends that you're seeing or carrying out yourself as a company during this recession that you've found to be successful? Yeah, so I mean, I think this... 
I, Brendan, are you calling the recession? Are we are we officially in a recession now? Uh, I mean, I think so. Uh, I think the general consensus is yes. But if you disagree, I, I'm not forcing your hand. <laughs> no, no I, I can't disagree. Um, so yeah, I would I would say I agree. Um, I, I I mean, I think staying the course is really what we need to do as. Um, number one, as service providers and as SaaS providers, and that certainly can be difficult through this. So we really, I mean, because we can't, I don't see that we can lower our prices because inflation, I mean, we need, with the job market that we have, um, we can't pay less, we can't cut our support. And so we really have to be as lean as we possibly can and stay the course as much as we can until that's, I mean, at some point you, you have to cut back and then that's going to, that's going to mean cutting service or cutting, um, cutting something. So yeah, I think staying the course as long as we can and as long as it makes sense. And from your own day to day, where are you doubling down? Where are you cutting back? There was an interesting Gainsight report where they surveyed hundreds of CEOs across different company sizes. And I can share with you the, the results, but I'm just curious to hear where have you sort of doubled down and where have you cut? Yeah. So, so we're the, where we've cut is in new hiring. So we're not hiring additional people and then we're, uh, we're not calling it cutbacks. We're optimizing. Uh, so we're, we're becoming as efficient and as lean as we can. Um, that hasn't, hasn't led to any layoffs at this point. Um, I don't believe that it, that it will. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a decision for down the road, but being as lean as we possibly can and then not hiring additional staff, uh, until we absolutely have sure. To. Then it's, I think it's too early in the in the perceived recession uh, to to make that determination yet. But I mean, as a CEO and as a founder, you can't wait too long. You kind of hit the nail on the end there. At the end, I was watching this presentation by uh, David Sachs from Craft Ventures, and they were talking about this death spiral which is basically if you cut too late, you cannot get back into growth. And they called that the death spiral. Right. Well, and really understanding your financial picture and when, when you would have to make those cuts, whether you do or not, at least knowing what that looks like uh, from, from a future monthly standpoint. Yes. So some of the results from this survey, a lot of CEOs said that they were going to double down on like expansion and cross-sell channel partners, automating customer success, forecasting, reducing churn, product adoption, and the list kind of goes on. It, it sort of goes down by percentages. Those were in the high 70s to to 50s the ones i just mentioned and and i would say we've so we've been doing all of those things and i think as a founder you need to be doing those things from the beginning and staying lean um and so if if and when a recession happens that you're already prepared for that 
Yeah, great if you did your homework up until the, the, the recession hit, but for some, it's kind of like, okay, back to the drawing board. This is how you should have been doing it. I, I think some, in some ways, recessions are better for customers. They're becoming the center of attention versus prior. It was just about extracting as much as you can out of your customers, which I always preferred that there's a balance. Right, right. And I think that that, that long-term effect of trying to just extract as much as you possibly can from, from the customers doesn't work in the long run might might work in the short term and especially with new products but doesn't work in the long term yeah 100 percent. so are you ready to dive into the rapid fire questions absolutely so what's your superpower as a ceo are you more of a product guy are you strategy hiring marketing sales yeah so definitely product product developer Okay, great. So having set the stage now, what would you say has been your biggest aha moment looking at that through a product lens? Uh, so biggest aha moment, really, um, I, I hate the MVP of, of just get a product out there and, and see if it works. Um, but the biggest aha moment it for me was being able to do that as a perfectionist and get a product out that is is functional and see if it is usable and not just an MVP, but you know, at least one step beyond an MVP. I love that you that you said that because I totally agree with that. And I'm just curious, do you have a better acronym than MVP? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> Maybe uh, uh, one one plus MVP. Yeah, plus is definitely a trending term, although it didn't work out so well for CNN. <laughs> um, cool. And then again, through the product lens, what's the biggest misconception that you've experienced uh, when it comes to product? Uh, I mean, so not getting it in front of clients. So this goes this goes counter to the last discussion we had but you can't you can't sit on it too long before getting it in front of at least prospective clients uh and finding out if there's if you're delivering value or not so i'm gonna break the rules a little bit here because one of my members in the community asked a really great question and i think this is the perfect time to to ask your opinion on this he was wanting to understand and get advice on his product, he has some really big enterprise companies that are interested in his product, but he's not confident to show it to them yet before he's polished it up. He doesn't want to risk them thinking that it's not ready or being turned off. So what would you recommend? Yeah. So if there's a way that and I have no idea what the product is, but if he can offer it in a sandbox environment where they can go safely use it. So it's not so much about the safety. He just wants to impress them and not make them feel like it's an it's an immature uh, product, even though there's no hiding the fact that they're a startup, but he just wants it, to put his best foot forward. Yeah, and I agree with that, wanting to put that best foot forward, but 
you have to go take action and you have to go get some feedback from real customers uh, before before you go to the next step because there's no there's no point in continuous iteration within a closed loop. So you've got to go out and get that feedback and that is a scary step to take, but find the the most friendly of those and hopefully the not not the most valuable or potentially valuable, but the most most friendly that's going to do the least damage and go get it to them and have them use it and get Yeah, and back. something else that springs to mind for me is that it's also probably better to get that feedback early on because maybe you figure out that enterprise customers are not right for you, but you kept on producing features yeah. for enterprises and and then you like wasting time without actually getting that feedback to to justify whether or not you should go up market or if you should stay in the mid market or never go to enterprise, for example. Yeah, Brendan, I think that's, I mean, I think that's a great point of, and that's something that we're doing with CryptoStopper is not going enterprise first so that we can, can develop this and, and have all of the SMB tools that need to be in place and all of the the capabilities behind it to then go up market to enterprise. And we may, may or may not ever go to enterprise. Yeah, no, that, that was really helpful. Thanks for sharing your input on that. And then in terms of a recent success around your product that you think could inspire others, anything that comes to mind? Uh, there's, I mean, so many, um, I, I would say our cloud portal, so having the, the capability of a multi-tenant cloud portal, and we've had that capability for several months now, um, but that really, I mean, it's something we knew from the beginning we had to absolutely do, but having that in place and having that um, working really flawlessly at this point has, has been a, a big accomplishment for And can us. you just elaborate for a few more seconds on what do you mean by portal? Like uh, what was that all about? Yeah. Yeah. So multi-tenant portal uh, essentially is allowing our partners and wholesalers uh, to be able to go in and create. I mean, they're, they're able to get in, create their own clients, manage their own systems. And in a, in a channel only company, that's critical. So having that, capability to once the sale is made to then be able to turn it over and let them run with it is really what that multi-tenant environment okay i'm with you now yes so basically that's a huge value add for mssps in actually for them to even want to work with you because if they cannot control and offer their services from a single dashboard it doesn't make sense for them to run hundreds of instances, right? They need one central controlling command for your product. Exactly. Yeah. And really what we're doing now is creating integrations to other systems so that they can utilize their single pane of glass management tools that 
crypto stopper information feeds to that as opposed to even having to go to our portal awesome so i i want to respect your time and i'm thankful for you spending time with me and us on the episode today if people would like to connect with you reach out what's the best place for people to get in touch yeah so probably the best is uh best is linkedin if you just search for greg edwards and crypto stopper can find me there um, or g edwards at getcryptostopper.com awesome thank you so much greg it was a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, i look forward to hopefully seeing you in our founder pack community as well it will be an honor to have you so thank you again for joining us on the founder pack podcast absolutely thanks for having me brendan and uh yeah i'm certain we'll see you on the, the founder pack awesome thank you so much have a good one all right you too thank you bye We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Founder Pack Podcast with Brendan Rod, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share the channel and itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.